Hello and welcome along to the season finale of My Time in the Gansey here on the Left Wing Back Podcast. Today we hear from a man who initially looked like he was going to be a noted inter-county hurler for the long haul. He then switched to football while still under 21 and went on to play for Leinster. He won a senior hurling championship with Ballinkillen in 2001 and played in another final with them in 2004. And that same year he was a key figure for Fenna as they contested the senior football final against Raffili. After playing with Carroll for many years he made the switch to play with Wicklow under Mick O'Dwyer and for the first time ever we find out the reasons for making that switch. Thomas Walsh is our guest for the season finale of My Time in the Gansey in association with Corcoran Precast Tanks. Tom, am I right in saying actually that perhaps you could have played County Hurling before County Football? Uh, you are. Um, I think I was one year out of uh, secondary school. Uh, I think it was about 2000 when I got a phone call from Michael Walsh at the time uh, who was over the Carlo Hurling team uh, for myself and my brother Pat to come in and uh, take trials with the, with the team and uh, we were we were probably more focused on football at that stage of our career or sorry on hurling at that stage of our career than than really anything else after coming from we were down in school in Roscoe so everything we did down there was uh, kind of hurling and rugby so yeah the 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 hurling was the first and Got got uh, got in with uh, the Carlo team in two thousand and played for I think it was probably just a year or maybe a year and a bit, and uh, which was great. You know, it was uh, we got to, we got to play some some big games there uh, until the football came along. But uh, have some good and fond memories of of those days in the Carlo Hurland jersey and played a, played a bit up through the years as well, uh, minor and. Uh, under 21 with the with the county and very much kind of loved the hurling with the club as well with Ballin Killen. Um, we had some great teams over the years from juvenile level, you know, all the way up to senior. We had a great run of maybe five or six years from under 16 all the way to a senior championship. So, but yeah, loved the hurling. Yeah, so uh, Ross Gray was obviously where you went. I was, I was aware of that. Did you have much success down there, hurling with kind of guys on their own tip panels and stuff? And I'll double this up by asking, why do you turn then from hurling to football subsequently? Do you know, uh, great question. Uh, the answer is to the to the first one was I suppose when you're in the the heart and what they call the home of hurling, you're gonna you're gonna play with players that are from that area and it was a it was a boarding school so you had guys from all over Ireland there as well from multiple counties um, probably more heavily based on on the Munster side of things lots of guys from Cork and Kerry and and Tip um, so yeah I mean we had we had reasonable enough success down there uh, we got to we got to an All-Ireland B final when I was in my final year and it was only recently, actually, I got uh, I got a f- photograph sent to me. It's almost coming up on twenty on, on twenty years, and uh, obviously we all have different forms of WhatsApp groups and that kind of thing. But I got a photograph sent to me, and it was just going through the the guys on it, and uh, so we had a, a, on that team. I, I suppose you'd be familiar with John O'Brien, Tumivara, Tipperary. He was kind of mm-hmm. like our star player at the time. He was our, our full forward and. We had, uh, uh, who else did we had? We had uh, the two Phelan twins from Clara and Kilkenny. We had uh, Joe Connolly's son, Brian. Uh, 
couple of other guys, Peter Garvey would have won in under 21, he was sub on a Galway All-Ireland winning team. Uh, O'Brien's from Cork, you know, there was a, there was a, we had Noel Maloney, the two Maloney brothers from Nina, they won All-Irelands with Tip. Um, and then I suppose one that everyone from Carlo might know a bit better because he was a dual player, so was, um, one of our best players was Redmond Barry from Wexford. Um, he was a, he went on to probably do similar to what I did and played the both, both codes over, over the next couple of years. But yeah, look, it was a good mix of lads and it, they all came together at, at the right time. We kind of we kind of walked that All-Ireland and uh, we probably should have been maybe a, a, a grade higher at the time. But um, those were good good times. We had a great coach back then as well, a guy from, from Ross Gray called Hugh MacDonald. And uh, I suppose over the years of all the coaching that I ever had, I look very fondly on... Uh, my time and the team's time under under his guidance because he kind of he he taught us the tricks of the trade from from Tipperary and from from the Munster hurling and then I suppose when you brought that back to Carlo uh, at the time uh, it, it, it was an advantage for myself and my brother uh, probably to, to to come from Tip back back to Carlo to to play the game. Um, but secondary to your, your 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 next question is why why did we leave it? And it's hard to know why, Kevin, because you know I would have always said over the years that hurling was and still is to this day, you know, my most kind of favorite favorite sport. I suppose at the time 20, 21, 22, 23, as that was kind of around the time when I did convert to the football. Actually, Carlo at the time were doing. Um, they were doing very well. Uh, they were under Pat Rowe at the time. They had uh, just had a great run, I think, in 2001 through the qualifiers. I remember there was Kildare in the championship, went to Wicklow, to be Wicklow and went on to to play Sligo. And at the, at the time, I um, was playing with the club in Fenna and uh, there was a couple of guys that were on the county team at the time, the likes of Stephen O'Brien and John Hickey. Uh, a Scally, Pat Nolan as well, and uh, I suppose they were always uh, trying to push myself and my brother to to go over and play the football as well. And uh, I suppose work got out, and Pat Rowe just called and said, "Would you come and give it a go?" So I, I think I did the, the kind of dual role for the first year, and suddenly kind of realised at that stage that you know it was taking up a lot of time with with college teams and with multiple. Uh, kind of under 21s and that kind of thing so the focus kind of just it just went on to the it just went on to the football from under 21 just after it onwards um, and, and and we were playing a lot of sports we were playing rugby as well at the time I was playing up in Dublin with um, Bechtiv and uh, just juggling everything uh, I, I just felt that maybe the football would be you know something that I would get more traction and benefit out of uh, over over those kind of college years. So I think that was the answer. I think that was the reason for it. But I'm not I'm not really too sure because I always kind of loved the hurling and stayed with it with the with the club as well, you know? Yeah. So I mean obviously there's an Oboran Cup win in there and that would obviously kind of indicate that Carlo football was going in the right direction. And um I can understand to an extent why you, you kind of would have made that decision because it probably wasn't until a few years after when Carlos started making strides in hurling. And also, given the fact that it's so difficult to be a dual player, I mean, you seem to see quite early that 
that difficulty was evident. Um, and more so in the last 10 or 12 years when the dual player is almost gone altogether, completely. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a good one. It's, it's hard to analyse. And I think at that stage, there wasn't too much thought given to the, the efforts required for either football or hurling as there is nowadays with, with, with the kind of professional levels that it's gone to. Um, I think... <laughs> I think a lot of it might have had to do with my parents as well and, 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 and their push to, to make sure that, you know, the eye was on the ball when it came to getting results in college and that kind of thing as well. So uh, applying time um, to, to multiple sports was kind of shadowed by trying to get through college as well. Um, so maybe maybe that ha had something to do with it. Uh, again, win winning and, and the traction that the Carlo team had had created in two thousand and one. Although we had a good run that year with with the hurlers, uh, we played in an intermediate All Ireland final and and had a great run. Or maybe that was the year before. I'm not sure, but there was great traction there because I, I remember playing in front of. Uh, we played Kerry uh, three games in a row uh, in, in an intermediate All Ireland semi-final I think it was and uh, we beat them the last day in Ross Gray but the day before that we actually got to play in front of the famous Dublin Kerry game which was the replay on the back of Morris Fitz's great point from the sideline so sure, yeah. that was just an awesome day because we were um, the place was packed come half time and uh, we had all the Dub fans supporting us which was pretty good you know playing Kerry um, it's those days like that, and even playing in the home of Hurling and having played down there for years with the with the school, um, playing in Semple, playing in Turles, like it's not everyone gets a chance to do that, um, and and you know you take some pride and 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 you look back on on those kind of days fondly, but um, the the O'Byrne Cup gave the football probably a bit more traction in that they come off of a good year the year before. There was a good, solid team there. I was new, brought in some great guys in there, given leadership, brought me under the kind of wing, the likes of Garvin Ware, Willie Quinlan. Um, and you kind of felt like, yeah, you know, the passion was here for this now. You had something to offer. There was an excitement about it. And we went through that O'Burn Cup. You know, we were playing some great football. We won some great games. And uh, we had, uh, you know, we had a great start to the year. Although I remember the year kind of turned obviously a bit sour, obviously very sour after after Andrew's um, passing and the kind of results after that kind of went a bit south. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, 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 those were, were, were good times, you know, the positive parts of it. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking at a photograph here, which Tommy Murphy and Michael posted uh, recently. I don't know if you came across it, but there's... A picture of yourself in a dugout with uh, Paul Kelly, Ray Walker, Dottie Byrne, uh, Willie Minchin is there as well, Cormac McCarthy. Um, it's it's a great photo. Apparently it was taken up in Longford. And uh, I'm just intrigued to know why you're in the dugout in the first place because Paul Kelly tells me you weren't too fond of training in January and February. You were more of a summer footballer. What do you have to say in response to that? <laughs> uh, either we all got sent off or we're all injured. <laughs> uh, do you know, I haven't seen that. I would, I'd love to get my hands on that. I love looking at those old ones just to have a laugh. Um, yeah, we get that across there. It'll be no problem. Yeah, that'd be awesome, Kev. Um, 
Well, yeah, Paul Kelly, you know, he's probably, well, you know, he's 100% correct. Uh, you know, training, training in winter, um, I wasn't particularly too passionate about that. And uh, I think that uh, I, I was more of a summer, summer player. Uh, I definitely don't deny that charge by Paul Kelly. And he definitely, uh, he probably was sitting in that dugout for a reason similar to that. <laughs> 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 yeah, excellent. Um, also, you're you played under Luke Dempsey, you played under Mick Condon as well. That that transition is something I've spoken to a couple of other people on the podcast about. Um, you know, were the you must have some great memories in terms of. I'm not going to refer to that Donegal situation again, which was a little <laughs> bit of a farce, but it brought great friends and obviously great times as well off the pitch. Ah, uh, we did, yeah, and. Uh... Do you know they say like the, it's the it's the mates that you meet in 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 those kind of situations in in those kind of adverse situations are the ones that really do stick around because uh you we we, we get we, you get through it and that time was was difficult because we had a fairly good team at that time it was just the coordination management communication around getting things done was uh it wasn't up to par uh for the time and I came, you know, back to the, the era I kind of joined. I was in that transition kind of era of the kind of the, 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 the old school guys that had done it on the scene, the likes of Sean, Kavna, Willie Quinlan, these guys that had produced Garvin Ware, the, the, the guys that obviously the Oak legends and, and, and that team. And there was a transition period there that a lot of those kind of left after the Condon, when, when Mixer came in. And, uh, you know, that, that creates some traction sometimes as well, or a bit of, um, uh, you know, there's, there, there can be some kind of tensions. But, but look, we, I, I think we actually didn't have a bad league campaign that time. It just one or two or maybe three results went against us. And um, we, we kind of, as a, as a team, came together. I remember having a kind of a meeting where a couple of the leaders in that team came together and kind of discussed what uh, what needs to happen because there's no point in continuing to do the same thing if you're going to reach the same results, back to that kind of argument. So um, around that time, after I think it was very shortly at the Donegal incident that you refer to, uh, which which I think everyone listening will, will have a, a giggle at through Paul's um, uh, analysis of it but after that I think the penny dropped and and we just collectively as a team kind of decided that listen if we're going to be in this we might as well give it 100% and to do that you kind of need to have the right structures and the right leaders in place not alone on the pitch but but off the pitch as well so um, yeah so you know that that, that took place and, and, and a mixer left and, and in fairness the mixer uh he top guy and you know he he uh he he tried to change things up and maybe it wasn't the right time maybe it wasn't the right time to do it but he's definitely showcased on the club scene and in other places that he definitely uh delivered and had the ability to do that and uh but but that period then between that time and uh when when luke came in um johnny nevin uh kind of took over a strong leadership role with one or two others. I think Brefney Hannah and a few other guys 
jumped on board there and started to take ownership on the on the training and uh it was just a complete change in mentality it's amazing like you have players that had you know got themselves into a zone where they weren't getting the most out of themselves and, and, and overnight simply because you wanted to prove yourself right prove others wrong the whole mentality changed around that and then shortly before our opening championship game uh, Luke came in and I think Luke came into a situation no matter who came in even as good as Luke was as a trainer or is as a trainer no matter who came in there uh, there was no way we were going to lose that first round of the championship because we put ourselves into a position where you know we were going to be judged on our our decision to move on from mixer and 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 uh, and to get that result that's what we were going to be judged on so complete change of mindset and uh, I think it went on from there you know we had a good run that year with Luke and uh, a good run over the next two years I think Luke was in there we had some great challenges great games against Longford at that time who we beat were Division 1 side and they were winning in Division 1 and they had some great great players the Bardens of the world and Davis and a few other guys that were top class players um, but yeah it was you know that time was a complete change of mindset and um, I think we we got some positive results out of it. And then the next manager that comes in is none other than Liam Hayes. Was Liam Hayes the first manager to pair you and Patrick together for the county at midfield? I think he was, yeah. He definitely was. Um, That's obviously special. Yeah, it was great. You know, those days playing with Pat along, uh, even with the club, with Fenna and, and, and with the county, uh, they kind of brought the best out of the two of us. It was kind of like a, and you know, he, he deserved uh, to be there on, on club performance. And I just know like he's, you know, there's most days that I played along with him, he probably played better than me. Um, and and probably was one of the top players on, on, on most days out with Carlo. Um, but Liam Hayes kind of saw that. And we had a John Drew, Drew I think was training us at the time. It was around the time where we got to the county final against Ratvilly. Um, and Rafili were fine at the time. We went to a draw, but there was again back to that mindset thing. There was a good vibe in the club in Fenna. A lot of a lot of key players came at the key time to kind of bring it to that final. Um, and, and you know, obviously, we'd always think to ourselves we should have we should have won that the first day. Rafili were were cute. They came back and uh, they they. Took us apart. Well, they didn't take us apart, but you know they did the job out of experience and beat us the second day. And we always look back on that and go, Do you know what? That was a that was a missed opportunity, most definitely. But uh, I think let's from actually then, let's actually just stay there for a second. I'm sorry for interrupting you because it was on the agenda the county finals in all four. And now that you've kind of brought it up, let's let's just stay there because you played in three county finals in the space of a few weeks, and obviously, unfortunately. Lost the hurling final for Ballinkillen against um, Nave Reid, my own club, and then the two games against Raffili, as you're as you're kind of mentioning. Um, let, let's stick on the, the Raffili games. Is it the first day I think that Val Fleming cracks the crossbar? Is that is that the kind of moment that hurts pretty badly? Yeah. Jeez, uh, I haven't uh, I haven't thought of that now in, <laughs> in a long time. Uh, shiver with nightmares. No. Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely the small things that you kind of you, you think of, even with your own performance. Like I know that I definitely wasn't on form for for either of those days to to, to the levels that 
I, I would have liked to have been. Um, and, you know, it's very hard just to analyse the whole thing and where it went right or where it went wrong. It was great to be there for the club in the first place, just to go through the the levels uh, that we went through from junior to intermediate to senior in a short kind of space of time and to get to that final and to have a realistic chance of competing and winning. Like that was a great time for the community, the location, where we're from, our families, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I'd be more in line to take those kind of positives out of a situation like that than just the negatives of, of losing. Yeah, it'd be great to have a, a a county final or a medal in your in your back pocket to show some kind of result. We don't we don't have that, um, but don't really don't really spend too much time analysing what went right or wrong uh, on on those kind of days. It's just we 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 didn't perform and and that's it. We lost and unfortunately that's that's the way you kind of have to take it, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Um, you you mentioned just in terms of your own performance, and I know you kind of mentioned you don't really like looking back. Was nerves perhaps a factor in in any of this, Tom? That you think that maybe you didn't perform to the levels, or is it just that you set such high standards yourself that maybe you're being a bit unfair on yourself? I I just think Rafili got it right. Do you know, I I never really considered myself uh, an all around kind of footballer. I, I think one of the things that I kind of worked on were the things that I was given um, from from my parents and that's probably the size and that's you know I always tried to and the game was perfectly suited to myself and my brother back then where you know your focus was on dominating that midfield catching distribution fitness up and down the pitch that's that was a lot of what we kind of did for club and county. And that's where our focus was on for any of those bigger games, you know, try dominate at midfield, get possession up and down the pitch fitness, um, you know, and then create opportunities for other people, drive through the middle, give it off to guys that are, can score. And I think that most days that we lost, uh, most teams obviously looked at that as, um, a, you know, a, a thing that they would have to kind of cut out, and I think Ratvili on that day, and most times um, when I didn't have a great game, it's probably more about uh, not changing up my game or not not you know going to a to a plan B, but relying on a plan A. Um, for you know, that's that's probably what Ratvili did. I remember they had John Kyo on me at one stage. Poor John, John's a great footballer and passionate and. Uh, great man marker and it was either the first day or the second day but I was getting frustrated and I never rarely ever kind of rarely lashed out or had <laughs> rarely lashed out or had a, any kind of red card incidents maybe one or two over the years but um, I was after maybe kicking the ball away or kicking it out over the sideline and I was in the motion of kicking it maybe and, and John came in and whatever, like he came in to hit me a shoulder or whatever, and whatever uh, took over me, I, I, bo- I gave John a box across the back of the head. Just completely, uh, you know, didn't even think of what I was doing. It was just out of pure aggression. And I remember John turned around because we were mates, and uh, he turns around at me, and I looked at him, and we both looked at each other <laughs> in shock, like pure shock. 
And I went to him straight, Jesus, John, I'm sorry. Do you know, there was no like pushing or shoving. And I think John at that stage knew it was kind of out of character. And he, you know, John being as hard as he is, didn't fall or didn't go down. He just got on with it. But, um, you know, it's those kind of frustrating things that um, that pop in when, when things might be going too well for you. Uh, but then again, you know, you think about that campaign and, geez, there were some great days as well that everything went went well. You know, you kind of try to think of those ones more than the ones that didn't. Yeah, yeah. The journey of getting there is is obviously very special. There's a, there's a perception as well that if you had have actually won one, you would have won the second one and that maybe it had the preparations going to the second county final. Um, what's your thoughts on yeah. that? Uh, yeah, so it's back to that word I keep using, kind of traction, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, it, the, the spirit, the community spirit was there. I think the players were there uh, to, to turn it into um, maybe one, two, three. Once you have that group of players, uh, an early success can can mean uh, can mean a lot of positive success after it, and I think what happened with with Fenna and in Ballinkillen in in ways as well with with our two thousand and one the hurling championship that we won. I think if you, if you kind of break down the 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 actual the team and the where guys were at that stage in their life, um, it's it's an interesting one when you compare it to to other teams. Uh, club teams especially that uh, if, if there's not early successes in, in those kind of situations you know guys guys move on and, and their focus really gets kind of put towards other things in life and I think that that did happen with uh, with the Fenna team anyway I think everybody kind of after the two years of trying to do it everybody kind of moved on like we were in semi-finals and, you know, pretty much leading up to that for two or three years before it as well. So we're always there or thereabouts. And there just comes a time, I suppose, where uh, the focus for certain individuals needs to kind of move on and change is required. And But you're right, Kevin, probably if, if you get those early successes and wins, you're definitely going to um, keep the vibe going within the club and, and, and keep going after it. Yeah, that medal you won in 1001 when you dismantled the Rangers on what I'm told was a horrific day. I mean, that's that's a pretty fond memory to have too. The worst day I think I've ever played a hurling yeah. in my life. Um, yeah, that was a great memory. That You know, the clubs are just... I suppose you hear it all the time about the, the, the passion and the, the community spirit and... Um, just, just nowhere I've experienced that any, any to, 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 to a higher degree, I think, than the days of being in, 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 in that final in the hurling and, and in the final in the football with, with Fenna and Malinkillen. Like, it's just, uh, and, and I suppose it had to do with our age as well. You know, you're young and, and you know, you think that everybody is interested in what you're doing when they're not, you know, and, uh, but you just you just felt that everybody around the place was 100% totally on board, and and the after the after effect of winning something like that, what it does to the community spirit, um, is you know I don't think you get it anywhere else. You certainly don't get it in 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 other sports or other countries. It's it's just a uniquely brilliant Irish thing. And uh, it's something that we should definitely hold on to and, and you know, not change, definitely. Yeah, so um, let's take it back to Hayes then. Um, 
interesting, interesting yeah. times and an interesting man. I got on, I, I thought Liam Hayes was probably one of the best, uh, I suppose you call it trainers or mentors I, I could have had because, and, and you know, everybody wouldn't say that, I suppose, well, I definitely would because I, I think what he did was he brought, um, well, he was a midfielder first and foremost with all Ireland medals in his back pocket, which is uh, first and foremost, that's the ultimate respect from a, a fellow midfielder. Yeah. And uh, so he had, he had walked the walk and uh, uh, not alone did he do it on the sports field, but he did it in business as well. And uh, what he brought to the game was um, a more professional business structure on the back end. And he tried to change up the way that we thought about playing for Carlo. And, you know, he tried to maybe take out the tr traditional thoughts that we might have had and bring in a new he was basically trying to implement the things i suppose that boylan put onto him back in the day and uh that's what i loved about it it, it, it felt a lot more professional and it felt like there was a common goal uh, communication was great and uh I, I i i got on great with Hayes. yeah i thought he was great yeah and uh, it seemed to work to a certain extent in that there's a couple of really good victories in there i mean he beat Offaly and a big win over Wicklow, I think, below in uh, Wexford Park as well, uh, before you crossed the border, Tom. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, we had some great days. Like, I mean, I remember that day in in, uh, in Dr. Cullen. It was in the qualifiers. Uh, we had, uh, we just lost, in, I think it was Leash, we lost it in the championship over in Amore Park. And that was... Uh, that was a serious day, you know, a lovely day. The place was packed. We got off to a bad start that day and could never really claw it back. But we were there or thereabouts with Leash as well. Like that team at that time that Hayes had was probably the best team that I played on. Some of the, some of the guys on that team could have walked on to any county team, definitely. And I think that Hayes gave it two years, I think. And if he had stayed on, that team was definitely heading, heading towards more success. There was definitely, because of the level of team performance in Leinster at that time, you know, everybody was on par with everybody. There wasn't this discrepancy that's there now. But, um, yeah, we, we had that, that, that day in the qualifiers after the leash game against Offaly. I think Waterford were playing Offaly and Dr. Right, yeah. Or Netwatch Park, sorry, should I say? You better say that. Um, yeah. I better say that, yeah. I want to get the old plug in in Netwatch Park. Um, on uh, the, the, the Waterford were playing awfully, and Waterford were flying it at the time. The place was mobbed, there was 12 or 15,000 people there, apparently. But uh, we came out and uh, we came out first game, and it was scorching hot. I remember that, and I remember the first 10 minutes. You know, the heat was getting to me. That championship pace was there. Uh, I was marking McManus, Kieran, and he was flying it. And uh, definitely, I, I do remember that time I was as fit as a fiddle, but, and I was thinking in my head, I'm as fit as a fiddle, but I can't breathe here. What's going on? So Paddy, uh, I think, was playing. And it, it was around the time Willie Power went down. Poor Willie broke the leg right, yeah. at the time. And there was a bit of rest at that time. And uh, I don't know what I did, but I was able to get some energy back and, and get going. And I, I think I was able to get McManus under control anyway, if I just hacked at him a bit. 
he was dominating a bit and kind of got got him under control. And Paddy was kind of, I think Paddy was, or we, we were all fine at actually. We were all get, getting going well. But I do remember specifically Carpenter was absolutely annihilating the guy he was on. Up and down the pitch, he was uh, on the ball almost more than any other Carlo player. He was he was phenomenal that day. And uh, that day just was up and down, score for score. It was really exciting. We kind of got, we started to dominate at midfield, got to, to catch a few over McManus, which was great at the time because he was flying with, with, uh, with, uh, with, the, with the Doffley and with the Irish team and that kind of thing. So, but things were good. And then at the end, obviously the end of that game was probably the most enjoyable uh, last five minutes I've ever played with, with Carlo. Um, because it was so tense and um, McCarthy, Cormac came bursting up the back from corner back, elbows out and uh, he knocked one over, a fabulous point uh, to draw it, I think it was. And then Carpenter got the winner or maybe it was the other yeah, way Carpenter around. Got the it winner, just yeah. One yeah. Of those, it's just one of those days in Dr. Cullen where scorcher, summer weather, atmosphere was unreal. Um, and just again back to that community the vibe was just awesome at that time with, with, with Hayes and um, he, ha- he had that team moving well definitely. good stuff right which brings us on to I suppose the most controversial period of era is when you made the move to Wicklow in 07 um, and in fairness to you you kept the lid yeah. on this fairly well because I'd say the media were absolutely howling you at the time and people had so many questions and it was literally everywhere um, talk to us about making that move, kind of how it came about and the influences in making that decision? Uh, yeah, well, look, I, I think it, it kind of barks back to um, a bit of what we kind of said earlier on. Um, it's kind of like a mixture of my own personality and, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's in, in, in on, the, on the football pitch, on sports pitches, in business, in, in personal life, that kind of thing. Um, I get very motivated when there is a challenge, when there's high communication, um, and, and you know when when everybody is on board for the one goal. And after, I remember we played Leitrim up in the Auburn Cup, and Hayes quit after that. And I thought that the team was heading in the right direction. I thought that, um, I thought that you know everything was 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 going to plan uh, for the for the following year. And he, he kind of went on, and fair play to him, you know, I learned and was guided an awful lot by him over the years. But he, he left, and there was, a, there was an opening then for, for somebody to come in and take over that team at that time. And not too many people, I suppose, know about it. And I wouldn't, at that stage, have been the most vocal about things either. But there was an opportunity for Mikko to come, Mikko Dwyer to come and train Carlo. Uh, over the preceding three to four months after Hayes nice. left. Um, and that opportunity was down to a final meeting, and that meeting didn't take place for one reason or another. And I, I do feel that that there had a lot to do with my decision, also with um, my own personality and that I didn't think that there was really a good target or a goal or any communication on what that team was going to achieve or perform over the next year, two years, three years. And 
again, I just wanted to change. I just wanted to get out. And the whole idea of not having Mikko with that team coming to train Carlo, uh, you know, I, I just think if that did happen, I, I, I do think that there would be medals in that county. <laughs> uh, there would be medals in Carlo, definitely. Um, but anyway, look, it changed. And uh, I, I, I moved. I moved clubs. I moved to Bray. Uh, and we had some interesting times over those couple of months, I can tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, the only t- 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 I suppose that year was fairly stressful. It was, I can't say it. But the one thing I can say is that over the years on any team, no matter what jersey it was, if, if the team, whether it's, again, back to life or in, 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 in business or whatever it is, if the team has a purpose and a goal and uh, everybody is under one path towards achieving that goal, uh, that motivates me and it always has motivated me. And you can get passionate then that, that, that drives that motivation. That was lost for me and Carlo around that time. And I needed to find it someplace else. And I think I did. I had some, just some great times once everything settled down. I had some great times in... Uh, in Wicklow, through the whole Mikko, uh, through the whole Mikko story, you know, it was it, it was an interesting but fun time. Yeah, so you, obviously Mikko went and took over that Wicklow team. Um, when you seen him going to Wicklow and then that opportunity came up, um, what kind of brought you to Bray in the first place? Was it was it work? Um, and were you kind of trying to canvas for Mikko to come to Carlo in the first place, just trying to establish that kind of connection? I never canvassed uh, for 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 Miklo, Miklo to to come directly to him or anything, but like uh, there was there was certain um, personnel that had created that opportunity to take place at the time, and I suppose people talk about regrets and um, that you know thinking back of you know you're somewhat naive not to jump on board as probably being one of the main leaders and players in Carlo at the time jump on board and become part of that process to get someone like Miko on board because I just think that would have been a game changer at the time that wasn't something that went through my head uh, and I do regret not jumping on the, the, the wagon to get that man into Carlo uh, I just think that that would have been the ultimate game changer for, for that particular team or for any team. It would have seemed to know of Reynard Hong from the outside in if there was a possibility of it happening. That I know there's obviously external factors. Perhaps it did come down to money or something. I'm just speculating here now. But that would seem like a no-brainer, given the fact that he'd been so successful prior to that. Like, Yeah, I think, you know, looking back on it, hindsight, all that kind of stuff, uh, definitely I would have felt it was a no-brainer anyway. Um but again, I was somewhat looking at it from the outside. You know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes or what personalities are involved in that in that process. But we were, myself and a few other players were pulled in um, after one club championships game around that time. And we were asked whether or not uh, it would be a good idea to, to, to go after. And we were told that the, the opportunity uh, to, to meet was there. And at that stage, um, you know, at that stage, I think all of us in that room said, yeah, absolutely, go after that. <laughs> go after that. Um, but, you know, it didn't evolve. It didn't turn into anything. And, and that was 
that was definitely disappointed, uh, disappointing at, at the time. And still to this day, you know, you're always wondering what difference that might have made. And you think it probably would have made a big difference. So if it wasn't Mick O'Dwyer taking over Wicklow, do you still think you would have went? Um, I don't think so, no. I don't think so. I, I think that having the opportunity uh, to play for him was something awesome. Um, would I have stayed in Carlo or would I have gone on maybe to do other things that fill your, 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 uh, and get your passion, get your passion back? Uh, who knows, Kev? I don't, I don't know. Who knows? But, um, do you know, uh, he, he was definitely, um, it was definitely an awesome experience to, to work underneath him. There was definitely no doubt about that. And just knowing some of the players that were on the Carlos side at that time that maybe were at 70, 75% of their potential um, and, and, and maybe a bit confused as to what the, what the end goal was. I think that having someone like that come in and take over and completely dominate what the actual, the next two to three years is going to look like, I think that the talent level was definitely there to, 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 to be very competitive in Leinster. Right. Um, I'm going to go into detail with your achievements at Wicklow because you won the Tommy Murphy Cup and you had some great days down there. But just, um, you know, at that particular time, Carlo Hurlers had been motoring fairly well too and they won the Chris Ring in 08. Was there any phone calls coming from Owen Garvey in around that time? Um, it probably wasn't going to sway your decision to play under Mikko, but was it a consideration perhaps? Uh do you know, I, I, I can't really think back at that time. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it, it was talked about. I can't remember, but I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a, a, a consideration. No, um, it wasn't. Uh, I think the focus was was just to kick football and to to to, to concentrate on that because uh, because um, hurling wasn't really something that was in my my life at the, at that stage apart from maybe the odd club game um so no i think it's probably the the best answer to that right so let's go to Mikko then um what is i'm not gonna it sounds like a naive question but what actually makes him so special to play under um well look i suppose it's definitely it's definitely a hard one to analyze. You know, some people say it's it's just the charisma and the the overall um, atmosphere that's created in a room that you know he's able to player manage and treat each player differently to get the best out of them. Um, you know, some people focus on that. Some people say it's it's the training. You know, the constant Dickensian fence to fence and lap by lap uh it's hard, it's hard to, to 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 put uh to put something on it i think i think the most important thing is that there's a there's a belief and a hope of improving team performance and improving individuals by just being present and by being part of the whole bus that that he runs um you know, there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely other coaching that that I've had that would focus more on skills and would focus more on maybe uh, a, a team kind of 
uh, delivery and that kind of thing. But when it comes to being the fittest that you could possibly be and going out onto the pitch with your, with your chest out, thinking that you deserve to be there, you're good enough to be there, and the team around you are good enough to be there, uh, he brings that to the game, most definitely. He, he definitely brings an individual's performance up to possibly the best that they could probably be. He's very empowering as well, just from looking at his interviews. I'm sure that's something that he just instills that belief, I, I gather, from the outside in. I mean, you've been there. I'm just making an assumption now, so it's probably better to do answer it rather than me answering it for you. Um, uh, he, yeah, it, you know, he's, he's charismatic, even though I don't think he tries to be, but he just has a presence. There's a few people over the course of my playing career that walk into a dressing room and they, they exude a, a kind of a presence. And uh, I, I suppose he had to build that. You know, he didn't just walk into the room. He built that through his playing career. He built that through uh, his, his All-Ireland winning successes with, with, uh, with, with Kerry. And he was totally entitled to walk into every room after all those achievements and to receive the kind of plaudits that he, that he does and to re- receive the kind of uh, respect that everybody gives him. And I think that when everybody buys into that kind of respect, they know that he's here to make a difference and they know he knows that his presence alone makes a difference. And it's a weird one, you know, it's kind of like, you know, are you just hoping that presence can make the difference or can we go out and focus on our, you know, skills and development? But like, there's no point in going out and focusing on the skills and development if you don't believe that, you know, you're all going to win something at the end of the day or achieve something better than you did the year before. And, and that's really what he, he could bring to the game, focusing on individuals to get them to that level that when they get out onto the pitch, they know they deserve to be there and good enough to be there. The most bizarre day, perhaps, in your career was obviously... In 2008, I think it was, he played Kildare and Crow Park with Wicklow and you won. And I think in the game after that, Patrick was playing midfield for Carlo and you had just played midfield for Wicklow. What in the name of God was the family thinking that day? Like, that must have been the most bizarre thing ever. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really don't think... Uh, I really don't think it was... That word bizarre was, was ever used or anything. It was just... Uh, I, I, I think my dad, who you know, really kind of drove all through um, our, our careers, uh, drove us to kind of think of um, our own performance. And no matter who you're playing with, uh, don't, let the fa- don't, don't let the family down and, and perform and be, you know, get, get out there and give it your all. You know, he, he instilled that no matter who you're playing for. Um, so I don't know if that was taught about that much either then or now. It was just... Uh, it was just another team get on with it at the time. Um, and it's not, it wasn't the kind of thing that we really talked about that much at the time, you know? Yeah. Did you actually mark Patrick at any stage playing against Carlo for Wicklow? Uh, no, I never got the chance to, well, he probably never got the chance to because he probably clattered me one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it just, it, it never really, it never really panned out that way. Um, you know, and uh, it would have been an interesting one, all right, because any time we did play each other, it was probably on the lawn at home as young lads. And he was always a year older than me. So um, 
probably at the end of the day all the time I was the one coming in crying you know so <laughs> yeah and he seems like um a character that you look up to quite a lot even though he's your brother you've mentioned the Ross Gray thing and playing midfield with him and hurling the football and, and stuff like that um was he fully supportive obviously of the decision to go out to Wicklow or did he try to talk you over considering he said with Carlo uh, look, I think look, Paddy's personality is he's uh, you know quiet and 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 easy going, but but gets the gets the thing done. Uh, I think he was um, at the time uh, not really not really too vocal about that. It was more about look what what's what's going to improve y- yourself really more than anything else. Like what 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 you need to do to stay focused and to stay passionate about something. And um, there was never any, you know, there was never any negatives about what, what I was doing at that time. Like he's, he's, uh, I do, I suppose, look up to him very much so. And uh, I would have always said that um, he was, he's the better footballer. There's no doubt about it. It's just, uh, he always needed a, a kind of kick in the arse or to get a quick, elbow into the jaw in the first five minutes to get him going <laughs> and when he did get going um, uh, there was generally no stopping him you know um, so m- motivation uh, uh, was 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 something that he he needed to work on sometimes right right so in fairness to you Tom you came back to us um, <laughs> in 2010 yeah. and ironically I think the your first championship game back with Carlo was against Wicklow uh, it yeah, it was. Yeah, was it 2010? Yeah, you couldn't uh, actually write that. Like, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. Old, you know, there was great old stories, I suppose, um, between between the two teams. But uh, came back and that that Carlo team again at the time. It was kind of like there was a transition there as well between the older, the, let's just say the the middle stock of players that we played with under Hayes. And there was a new kind of group coming in at, at that time, uh, which are probably at the kind of the end part of their career now. A lot of them are still playing there, the likes of Sean Gannon and Ledger, Brendan, um, Shane, uh, uh, um, and a few a few more guys, Dara Foley as well. They were all kind of younger lads on that team. And they had had some great successes as uh, juvenile, well, I suppose minors, under 21s, that kind of thing. So they were kind of bringing a different mentality to it. A lot of those guys uh, had had this, had, you know, pretty good success, whereas I probably didn't at that, that underage level. And uh, there was uh, definitely a different mindset in the, in the camp uh, at, at that time when it came to, to training and, and what guys were eating and how guys were looking after themselves and um, which was good to see at that time and uh, yeah it uh, didn't get off to a good start uh, with, with the Wicklow loss um, in fact I, I, I was pretty confident that day that we were going to we were going to we were going to win that day with the kind of role that we were on coming into that day at training everything was going well and it was a good team put together there as well. Uh, just didn't work out. I had, had again, you know, you go back and critique yourself. I kind of uh, didn't have the best of performance. I think I got two yellow cards that day and got the line with ten minutes to go, and they kind of. Um, but the game was probably gone from us at that stage. But yeah, that wouldn't have been one of the 
the better days in your no, career. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. And I'd say the Wicklow boys probably let you know about this when you came back. But was it? Was it yeah. kind of? Um, did were you uncomfortable in any way coming back, or fearful that you know some guys mightn't have been the most welcome? I know they were, but you don't know that before you come back. Ah, sure. Look, I suppose yeah, you kind of have to take that with a pinch of salt. Like all the, <clears throat> we had great times in Carlo and Wicklow, and you know the move obviously puts uh, puts um, puts you in a position where you kind of have to take that. You know, um, you kind of have to put up your hand and, and and take that, and that kind of jostling and hedging or whatever you want to call it during a game, it's all part and parcel of it. And for me, uh, I just use that as kind of fuel for the fire sometimes, you know, try not react to it, just put it in the belly, burn it up and, and put it back on the scoreboard is what my thoughts always were. But like most guys are different animals on the pitch than off it. And, um, you know, you don't treat everyone as an enemy uh, on the pitch, but sometimes they are. But the, the, the biggest enemies I suppose I've ever had on the pitch I've had points with them after the game and had a laugh about it and that's what I love about sports it's uh, you put it all out on the pitch and when you go off it it's a totally different story I think anyway. absolutely so um, I think your last year with, with Carlo then was 2011 and it's probably the closest you ever came to playing in Leinster final you got to the semi-final against Wexford um, a fantastic day against Loud that was an incredible victory in the quarterfinal yeah, it was, yeah. And uh, I think <clears throat> I was pulled back into centre forward at that time. I think I probably had a few pounds on me too much and the legs were beginning to give up. Although I was only 28 or 29, but uh, all these young lads were coming through and, and Sean Gannon, these newer guys that I talked about were all flying it. And Brendan was a year or two back from um, Australia and he was flying fit. And, you know, he was in his element, I suppose, where... Maybe where I was back in 2003 or four or five, he was definitely taking uh, that role up and down the pitch and just dominating. So he's uh, he had an awesome day that day. Got the As far as I remember, he got the winner. Um, and Loud were just coming off of the Leinster final the next year after they should have won the Leinster final. You know, they were, I don't know what you want to call it, robbed or whatever at the time with me the year before, but they had a great team, Loud, at that time. And they were on a roll, so... They were a nice scalp to take starting off, um, starting off the year, and uh, yeah. Then we we went on from there, and um, we got to who do we go and play after that? Yeah, it was Wexford, it was Wexford, Wexford and Crow Park, yeah, in the yeah. semi final, and you got off to a great start in that game, and then a bit, a bit of a tanking in the end. But you sensed after a few minutes, wow, there's a, there's a possible Leinster final appearance on the cards here, realistically. Yeah, I suppose it was the closest that we could say. I know the lads got there two years ago against Leash, um, but from from my playing career, it was definitely the closest we could have got to a Leinster. Um, and yeah, it was disappointing that we that we kind of tanked in the second half. I suppose fitness was a big thing. I remember we played. I thought we had a great chance that day. I thought we were getting to a Leinster final. Everything was flying. It the atmosphere was good. Community, like everything was going well. I think it was six points all at half time, and I don't know what happened. Like I mean, I I was pulled off with fifteen minutes to go. Uh, I wasn't seen in the second half, so it was just one of those days, one of those games again that kind of passes you by. But um, yeah, that was unfortunate. I, like it would have been obviously awesome to 
to progress on to a Leinster final because at the end of the day, I think that's probably where our mindset is kind of, or was at the time, kind of set on being the pinnacle kind of thing to achieve, uh, to get to a Leinster final, just to get to it, just to break the seal, mm. which it hasn't been for quite a while. But um, that would have made a big difference. But yeah, it was a good, good day. So it was good playing in Croker. Winning or losing, yeah, and it's not an opportunity that many people get to do, especially if you if you come from Carlo. So, listen, um, we've asked you to do a bit of homework, and we've asked you to pick uh, the best fifteen, the curveball of the series. You got to include yourself, and lads, bloody hate that, but uh, I love it. Um, you've been doing some thinking. Uh, I I I kind of did. I was in the car yesterday, and I had to I had to um had to spend some time away from the house here. So I sat into the car and I just went through. Uh, and it's amazing when you do think back of it, some, some of the guys that you've played with over the years, some of the, and some of the, obviously the great stories as well along the way. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of made an attempt at, at picking a team and it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a, I made an effort anyway. That's all we can ask for. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so you want obviously you'll start in the goal, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so just before we do it, um, bear in mind as well. I know you did make a few interprovincial prepare, uh, interprovincial I should say. I'm right in saying that, yeah. I did. So I did, let's qualify yeah, on that yeah. basis too. I don't know if you've included them or not. If you want to make any last minute changes, but listen, let, let let's have it. <laughs> let's have a crack off it anyway and see where we go first. Well, I was kind of more keeping it local, but I I can think off the top of my head about a few. Um, uh, yeah, uh, so in goal, <clears throat> I suppose the first place that you go to when you think about putting these teams together is just your your club career, and you know because those were the first guys that you came in contact with. And over over the years, our club goalkeeper uh, has been um, Pat Butler, who I don't um, you know he was he was there from mice primary school all the way up to senior when we played in the county finals so uh, he was he was definitely someone that would be considered as you know a really solid club goalkeeper that got how to play with myself and, and, and Paddy who were generally his midfielders um, you know over the years then you kind of uh, well you mentioned the, the, the interprovincial like when you think about that like I got I was fortunate enough I don't know how but I got to play in three um I got to play in three Railway Cup finals uh, and got to win two of them. And I think the, the keepers, one keeper that kind of sticks out over that period was uh, Gary Connaughton from Westmead. <laughs> he was a serious character and had an awesome, rangy kind of structure to him. Massive kick out. Fergal Byron as well from Leash was always a good, was always a, a, a good keeper. We played against and played with on that, uh, on that Leash or on the Leinster team. But when you bring it back home, Dennis, was the guys that you pay, played with for for the longest part of your career would be the Carlo guys. And uh, I remember James Clark, obviously, is always there. <laughs> I don't know. If he's, is he still kicking ball? Yeah, he? Clark is still going, I think, yeah. Can't give a good man down. Is he? Yeah. Absolute legend of a man. Soundest man ever. Um and then I remember during the, the Liam Hayes, we had uh, Donny Gaul, man, Jerry, or McGill, or was it Jerry mm-hmm. McGill? Jerry McGill, yeah. Uh, Jerry was was fine at that stage. Um, but probably over the, the whole course of the career, John Brennan's hostage 
would to me have been the the kind of number one goalkeeper because he had he great he was a great shot stopper. Uh, he was a phenomenal uh, kick out, and at the time we were playing, and I, I talked about earlier on, if you could get a good floated kick out from a keeper uh, at midfield, because the game was all around there. It's obviously changed now, but um, you know you had a very high likelihood of catching that if if Sausage got the right kick on it, and and his personality as well. I don't know if you know Sausage well, but he was uh, fairly strong in the dressing room in terms of his opinion and uh, just a great character to provide kind of, uh, you know, very positive kind of character in the, in, in the dressing room. So he would definitely be the goalkeeper. Um, then in, in terms of the, the full back line, um, there's been so many good ones over the years. Uh, the right corner, left corner, full back. Like, I mean, I think at the club and you think of, uh, the likes of John Hickey, Val Fleming, even Martin Farrell from Ballinkillen, who who kicked football with Fenna and was was a tough full back there for for many a year. Um, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough then to to travel a good bit in terms of, with, with football, and we went uh, we played in New York and played in Boston for different teams over there during the years. And when you do that, I suppose you bring. Lads come from all over the place, and we we played with the likes of Anthony Lynch from Cork, Sean Martin Lockard from from Derry was over there a couple of years, um, and then you kind of go back to the Carlos side that you played with over the years, like um, Cormac McCarthy. I mentioned him earlier on, Brian Farrell from Pal, uh, Andrew Corden was there on the scene my first year. Um, Again, I kept thinking of the newer guys as well, like the Paul Cashins, Shane Redmonds, Connor Lawlers. I have a list of them here, like Liam Murphy, the older guys, Brefney Hannon, Barry English, the Blues guys. But I think overall, when you when you when you mix it together, I kind of felt that I would go. Cormac McCarthy was always a tough cornerback that was a great man marker. I put him in there. I put Brian Farrell who was an attacking fullback and who I played with for years. And he was always there to take a pass, even coming through midfield, centre-back, centre-forward. I think he always wanted to be a forward, but he was just a great man-marker as well at full-back. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first year was obviously with Andrew, Andrew Corden, and he was just head and shoulders above everyone when it came to man-marking and just quality leadership as well. So I'd stick with that full-back line for now. Very solid. I think so. Okay, half back line. Um, half back line. Right. Let me have a think about. Uh, so, give me one second. I again, I could go through the list um, that I kind of thought of yesterday. Give me one sec here now. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, again back to Fennet. Had great days out with um, with Stephen. Stephen O'Brien was a very great player, and had many years with Fenna and with with the county as well. There's guys that probably didn't play county and played with Fenna and probably could have, like the the twin Nolans, the Stacks, Michael James and Pat were always great. Niall Hughes was always a great footballer in Fenna. Probably never played with the county, but just solid club players. Um, and then with Carlo. Uh, <laughs> You mentioned a man multiple times in this podcast, and so I can't wait to hear it. But Paul Kelly was always a solid, <clears throat> just a great attacking halfback. 
the Kildavan boys had a few, like Richie Sinnott again, played with him, great player, could play centre forward, could play full forward, played most of the time with Hayes in, in that back line. Uh, Ken Walker, another solid player. Joe Byrne, solid player. Um, and then, I suppose, with Wicklow at the time, uh, there was uh, the O'Hanig brothers were great players. There was a guy, Brian McGrath, he played with Kilmacud, fabulous player. Uh, John Kyo, I mentioned him earlier on, was obviously a savage player as well. Um, so I think very Carlo-based, this one. Um, and again, there was great players with the Leinster as well. I remember playing with Tom Kelly from Leash, just a phenomenal athlete. Anthony Miles, great player, uh, dominant player. Collie Moran from Dublin as well. Just they're just all solid players. But the, Stephen definitely would be in there because of club and county. Stephen O'Brien would be my number five. Joe Byrne, number six. Joe Byrne was a bit like Brian Farrell. You know, he was serious man marker, tough as nails. And came forward with the ball and, and, and offloaded to people in, in kind of better positions. Everything you want in a centre back. And then probably Paul Kelly, just for the stories alone. <laughs> <laughs> I know, in fairness to him, he was just, he was the old. I remember playing Leash back in 2003, 2003, 2004, around the time of Hayes. And uh, his sole job was to just follow Ross Munley. And not alone did he follow Ross Munley that day, but he was fairly dominant on the ball as well. Paul was always just a solid player, just a great lad, great character in the dressing room after as well. So that Thanks, would be, He'd um, be delighted with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would. Uh, that's, that's a good, I think that's a good, solid backline. Definitely, yeah. It looks great here. I have it wrote down on paper. So you've got Sausage and Goal so far, and you have Cormac McCarthy, Brian Farrell, the Lakeray, Andrew Corden, and then you've got Stephen O'Brien, Joe Byrne, Paul Kelly. There's certainly nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, and you know, under day, some of the other lads that I mentioned as well would be as good, you know, but that's that's what that's what I felt was a good solid backline anyway. Um so midfield then to move it along, I suppose, you know. Uh, based on our last conversations before I, I select uh, my brother, <laughs> uh, definitely I, I remember starting off, Garvin Ware at the very start was the first real kind of well-known midfielder that kind of brought me in under, under his wing back when Pat Rowe was involved and Garvin was kind of leaving at the time. Um, and then over the years, played with multiple different guys, Dahi Byrne from Kildavan, Philip Nolan from the Blues the Weed, even Podge McGrath, Clon Moore, Willie Power, Tim Ryland, and then the newer guys, the likes of Brendan Murphy, obviously, Sean Gannon played in there a couple of times as well. And then just with the bigger, the, the, the Leinster guys, Noel Garvin was always a solid player from Leash. I always loved playing Leash. My mother was up from that area, from, from Arles, from Cool and Owl, and uh, whenever we played Leash, there was always just a little bit more in the air. Now, we weren't, particularly too successful against them all the time but just loved playing against them mm. so I got a, got a chance to play with, with Noel a couple of times and he was always a cute player but um, I, I, I have to obviously you know I played with him all over the years from from under 10s all the way up along or even earlier so but whenever I played with him I think my brother uh, would definitely be the one that helped me perform to my best and probably helped the team because we all kind of rock and roll together so I definitely have to put him in there 
I'm selecting myself as midfield because I think I'd be a, a, a donkey anywhere else. <laughs> You've had centre forward a good bit in fairness. I did, but sure, look, yeah. I, as I said earlier on, my problem was I, I, you know, my role was to catch, to run through, to create opportunities for other people. That was it. And when you had lads like Ray and Carberry and these carpenter guys, you could just give it to them and you knew they'd score. But um, when you're put in a position where you're expected to score, my you know, my two left feet didn't help me sometimes. But, uh, anyway, look, that's it. So, um, you did make an appearance at corner forward, I think, under... Did Granny Murray put you corner forward at one stage and you came back to Fennet? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, probably. It was like a, some kind of illusion pattern that Granny was trying to put in place. Do you know, they won't see him in there. And... <laughs> We'll bring him out around midfield after 30 seconds, you know, just tactics. Yeah. Granny is a legend. Uh, geez, some time for those guys. We had some crack with uh, with that Fenna team and the lads around it. It was just awesome. Uh, yeah. So back to the half-forward line. <clears throat> half-forward line. Uh, this is an interesting one now because I think that... Let me just have a look here. We have, uh, <clears throat> again, back to the time when I started... There was some absolute heroes of Carlo football that just gave years to Carlo football. Um, obviously, Willie Quinlan was huge, uh, as in effort and heart and talent and everything that came with it and experience. Johnny Nevin, just a hero. And then you had just this crop of great players that came through along w- with those kind of guys to guide them through, like Brian Carby, Carpenter, Paddy Hickey, Mark Brennan. Oh, Lachlan. And then the newer guys again, John Murphy, Grange, Ledger, Sean Gannon. I didn't mention Sean Murphy from Fenna. Obviously, Sean is a midfielder, but I think I got one or two games with him as a chap with the club. And, you know, he had all the talent then that he has now. Um, Brian Murphy from Rathvilly, Dara Foley again, Owen Root. These guys were always good. And then the Wicklow guys, I mean, we had some fabulous players there. Leighton Glynn, obviously just top-notch player. Uh, John McGrath from Bolton last, Tony Hannon. These were all just great players. I didn't actually, I didn't get to mention Stafford from Wicklow for the midfielder, but he was cracked in the head. And, uh, but he was a solid, big hearted kind of player. And Sean Kavanagh again, I mean, there were so many players. Sean Kavanagh at midfield, like he could have been there as well. Like he was just, didn't play with him that often, but, you know. We put him in the centre forward line, or we put him in the option for centre forward. But I went with um, because I just think he's pound for pound the best player I've probably ever played with in when it comes to football uh, and the brain that's required to to run it for the size of him. Willie Quinlan was head like just head and heels above anyone because his perception. He was just whenever you were in trouble, he was the one there. To, was just getting at that pace. And when you were coming through that pace, which is what my game was, Willie Quinlan was giving it to you two or three yards in front. Do you know, he, he wasn't giving it to you and making you slow down. He, he knew where to be and, and how to just create gaps and that kind of thing. And he was a phenomenal defender as well. So I'd have him. I think I'd have uh, Carpenter. Because every day Carpenter went out, he was phenomenal. I don't think he ever had a bad day. He was fit as a fiddle and just a great guy as well, you know, great leader. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of thinking about either between 
Leighton, Glenn, or Johnny Nevin. And I think I'd have to go with Johnny Nevin simply because uh, he, I think he's played over two or 300 times between Hurland and football for the county. Great leader. And even back around that time when he did take over uh, the leadership role, back when Mixer was there and that kind of thing, um, you know, he kept, he, kept it, he kept the thing in place. He kept us on the rails. And we had a great success that year based on, on Johnny's leadership. So, and just a phenomenal player, hurling and football as well. Great leader. So it would be Quinlan Carpenter and Nevin. Tasty out. Tasty <laughs> out. And that's a, a real debacle you had with two great dual stars because Leighton Glynn yeah. equally as good at hurling as he was at football too. Like So, yeah, don't uh, I don't envy on that one. But uh, glad you went with Johnny, uh, a club mate, of course, there with Dave Reed as well. So that yeah. takes him to the full forward line. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Glynn, in fairness to Glynn, he's just a super talent, like in soccer and everything that lad put his hands to, he, he was pretty good at. I'm sure Johnny is the same. Um, the full forward line uh, was interesting. Um, I had, again, <clears throat> with the club, we, I, I remember back when we were younger guys, and not too many people would know this, like Scally, Pat, Pat Nolan, um, was always a great club and county player and deserved his spot on, on most teams he played on. But he had a younger brother, Decky. And I don't know if any people know about, but we won minor championships in under 16s. And this guy was head and heels above everyone, Decky Nolan. And he gave up the game after minor. And if he had went on and played, he was just an insane player at that time. And who knows where he would have went. But he definitely deserves a mention as to a guy that was so far ahead of everyone else at that time that he has to get a mention. And then with the... With the, with the Carlo team, I think the full forward line pretty much stayed fairly solid over the years. Um, we had some really sharp shooters in there, the likes of Simon Skiak, Johnny Kavner from, from Aska. Um, those, were, those were kind of... I, I, and then when you think about Leinster and, and Donegal and other teams that we kind of played with, one player that always kind of just was phenomenal was was Matty Ford just that guy could do anything with the ball we we played in Donegal as well the same team that Anthony Lynch played with that we were on we won a championship over there back in 2002 uh, I don't know if you remember but there was a guy Adrian Sweeney he used to play with Donegal full form. yeah he was lethal yeah yeah uh, I mean when you see that talent and I remember that day, myself, we played in the, the hurling final and the football final in Gaelic Park on the same day with Tipperary and Donegal. And we started in the hurling, myself and my brother, Pam Paddy, and we both came on as subs uh, in the football. And, we, you know, Paddy came on with about three or four minutes to go. And Adrian Sweeney set him up for two goals and we won the, the final by a point. So Adrian Sweeney made my brother an absolute, well, he had to take the goal, <laughs> but made him an absolute legend in New York for about two days. Um, but he was, he was just one of those insane players that you knew every time he got the ball, something good was going to happen. I, 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 you know, I, I used to always compare, like anyone like that is a bit like the DJ effect. You know, you could wait, you could wait nearly all the game uh, for him to even touch the ball but you know when he does touch it everybody gets up off their seat and something good is about to happen he had that kind of effect to him 
Um, Shawnee Furlong from Wicklow as well was always predominant in there. Good lad to kick the ball into. But uh, I went for, because of the way I played and every time, you know, you were kind of falling over, you dragging in two or three men. It, w- it was always the guys that you handed out to and what they did with it. And the best one for finishing that I ever kind of played with was probably Simon. Like every time he got the ball out there, you knew he was either going to top corner or over over the bar. Um, and that kind of made all the hassle worth the while <laughs> if you were taking slaps to get it out to them. Um, Furlong in full forward, I just thought that he was insane. His skills were just insane. Every time he got the ball, he created or, or made some damage. And then I put Brian Kelly's yock. Again, just insanely talented, great skill. Um, and you could rely on him for, you know, one, two, one, three, one, four a game. Um, and that's what you need in, in championship anyway. You need those kind of guys that can pull off those scores in a full forward. So, so Ray Furlong Kelly. Serious team. Let's recap just very quickly. So with John Brennan, uh, Court McCarthy, Brian Farrell, Andrew Corden, Stephen O'Brien, Joe Byrne, Paul Kelly, uh, yourself and Paddy in the middle of the field, your brother, um, Willie Quinlan, Mark Carpenter, Johnny Nevin, and then Simon Ray, Shawnee Furlong, Brian Kelly. That's a, that's a, that's a serious team. Serious team. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what did all perform like now if we talked out and played Carlo. I often wonder about that. <laughs> yeah, um, and just quickly before I let you go, you've been ever so kind with your time. Yeah. You're working over there with Netwatch. You, you've obviously got that connection to Carlo still. Um, what are you doing to keep fit over there? Are you playing anything? At, obviously not at the moment, but in general, over the last couple of years, have you been playing a bit over there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, the first job at the moment, obviously, is quite hard to, but in terms of like just gymming away and keeping kind of half fit, uh, I've been fortunate enough. I, I try to keep myself in shape. But when I came out here at the start, I did play uh, kind of a short year with... Uh, Galway, the, the football club out here. Now, that's a while ago, but over the last number of years, I've been a member of um, the Boston Irish Wolfhounds. It's a rugby team over here. Uh, I captained them for a couple of years, and that that keeps me kind of, that keeps me active, keeps the mind going, and you're um, getting kind of more involved on the, the training side now, helping out the young lads coming through, that kind of thing, um, just to, to keep saying, and hopefully... You know, please God. You know, definitely everything is is uh, will 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 kind of get back to some kind of um, you know area where we were before, where we can go back out and and, and train in team format, that kind of thing. Because there's only so much you can do on your own. I think. Um, so, yeah, keeping active. That's the most important thing. Absolutely, good for the good for the mind, good for the body. Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I never got to speak to you previously, um, professionally or or personally. So I really yeah. enjoyed the conversation, and and thanks for being so good with your time. All right. Yeah, Kevin, look, best of luck with things. Uh, really appreciate you calling, and you're after bringing up a lot of old good memories there. So great to great to talk about them. Yes, the mercurial talent of Thomas Walsh, a man who had natural ability in abundance across hurling, football, rugby and several other sports with Manny actually feeling that he was a better hurler than a footballer. I was delighted to have Thomas on the podcast and it was also good of him to explain the reasons behind the move to Wicklow which many people including myself wouldn't have been aware of beforehand. So my thanks to Thomas for coming on. And so that brings the curtain down on this series of My Time in the Gansey. My thanks to Corcoran Precast Thanks once again for sponsoring today's show. And thank you to everyone who tuned in, rang me, text, sent WhatsApps, 
gave ratings, reviews and recommendations. They were all very much appreciated. And to the guests, I thank you all for being so open and honest in telling your stories, as without them, we wouldn't have a series. Keep an eye out on our social media channels for updates on what may or may not be happening next. And until next time, take care.